0: The debate about school choice funding for homeschooling is heating up again. The United States has hit our proverbial debt ceiling once more, and I'm being called names on the interwebs for my never yoga stance. It's Mailbox Monday. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. It's Mailbox Monday. So this is the day that I answer your questions. And I want to just encourage you, keep those questions coming. We love them here at the show. You can shoot them to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. There's a form there for you to fill out. And that helps us keep all those questions in one place. Why are you guys watching the news? Because lots of stuff happening in the uh, United States right now. You guys have heard that we hit our debt ceiling. We've hit the debt ceiling and this means that the Treasury now cannot uh, is going to have to start taking measures to prevent a default on the United States loan. So reaching the debt ceiling basically just means that the government is not allowed to borrow any more money unless Congress agrees to suspend or change the cap, which currently stands at almost $31.4 trillion. $31.4 trillion bucks, you guys. And the Congress is going to probably, I mean, we'll see if the if the Republicans can hang on to their hats, but I don't think they're going to be able to because since 1960, politicians have moved to raise, to extend, to revise the definition of the debt ceiling, wait for it, 78 times. And three of those times happened just in the last six months. But you guys have been listening to me talking about this now for a little while. Their tensions are pretty high in the U.S. House of Representatives right now, right? Because they've got McCarthy in there and they fought really hard to get the things that they wanted. I believe that this new Republican Congress, some of these are firebrands, right? And they want fiscal accountability, which is frankly what the government should be offering the American people. The fact that we're $31 trillion in debt is an embarrassment. We are shackling our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren with a debt that is literally unsustainable. So it's interesting to me to read what people are saying about this, of course, on the Internet. Uh, I loved this article at the Business Insider. Listen to this, you guys. Drama has been infiltrating the halls of Congress over the past few weeks due to squabbling among the GOP. It took some late nights and 15 ballots to elect Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House. But it appears that that was the easy part, as Republicans are now contending with a bigger, much riskier challenge, raising the debt ceiling and keeping America on top of paying its bills. The Treasury Secretary, by the way, this Treasury Secretary is woke. She's completely insane. Maybe the worst Treasury Secretary we've ever had. But she's warned, of course, that the debt ceiling is looming, with the U.S. projected to officially reach the statutory limit for borrowing on January 19th, which, ding, 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 right on time, we reached the limit. So that's when the Treasury steps in with, quote, extraordinary measures shuffling around some spending related to federal employee pension plans until it's either funded again or runs out of options and becomes unable to pay its bills. And so this happens year after year after year. And I don't know about you guys, but I frankly am, uh, I'm sick of it. And I understand that the delays have a real price, but guess what? In regular, ordinary America, if I raise my debt ceiling over and over and over again, eventually I'm gonna go bankrupt. That's the direction that the Congress is headed. So what I would like to understand is, why can't we cut spending? I feel like it's a pretty simple question. But instead of cutting spending, we just want to keep funding and keep raising the debt ceiling and keep plunging our children and our grandchildren into an unsurmountable uh, and completely egregious state of being constantly burdened by this terrible debt that we're in. And so for what I understand about the Democrats, and I do know a few things about them, uh, they're not going to go for it. The Democrats don't know how to do anything except for tax and spend. And what I've seen of the Republicans for the last 25, 30, 40 years is that they aren't doing any better uh, with our national debt. I would actually love to see a, a constitutional amendment that would require the Congress to create, wait for it, a balanced budget. Do I hold out a lot of hope that they're going to do that? Nope. But that's what needs to happen. Ordinary Americans could tell you that that's what needs to happen. Next up is the fact that, our, that school choice bills now are starting to take effect Around the nation, most notably in places like Arizona, and there are a lot of homeschoolers that are that are jumping up and down about this because they think, you know, this, these school choice bills is going to be the holy grail for homeschooling freedom, and now we're finally going to get uh, money to buy our curriculum, take our kids on field trips, maybe pay for that um, violin lesson that you couldn't afford. But I want to tell you guys right now that I have huge problems with school choice bills that are going to affect and impact homeschoolers. And even if you guys think, well, it's gonna be a positive thing, it's a really good thing when we get money for uh, for homeschooling, not from the government. I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again, with shekels come shackles. The government is never going to give you anything for free. And so if you go to my my Facebook page, you will see that I got quite a bit of Pushback from this from my followers. This one, Jessica said, as a former homeschooler with kids in public school now, I hope the school choice bill gets passed in Arkansas so everyone with kids can benefit. I would take the money if I could choose the school or start one and pick my own curriculum. It's possible to get government funds paid back to us while still maintaining control of our kids' education. Uh, Jessica, no, it's not. The government has proved over and over and over again that they are absolutely not interested in what your well-being is or in the well-being of your child. They're interested in getting your money. Renee said, Heidi, I love you. I just disagree. I'm in Arizona. And as long as I can still get 100% choice on ordering Christian curriculum and even Bibles and Bible classes, I will participate. And I said, hey, Renee, try not to be offended. But this kind of thinking is what will bring homeschooling to heal. Believe me when I say you do not understand why the government is, quote, allowing you to use a Christian curriculum. Look at a fish and tackle and you get the idea. This is the shiny thing. You take the bait and others won't have the option. I have been trying to warn parents about this, you guys, for decades. Honestly, what we're discovering is that we will do anything, and I mean it, anything for money. Listen, you guys, here's the bottom line. Lean in. Government funding undermines homeschooling freedom. I'm gonna say it again. Government funding undermines homeschooling freedom with shackles come shackles. And if you think for one second that once the nose of the government is under the tent of homeschooling, they'll go, oh, you guys are doing just fine. I'm just gonna leave you guys alone. Here's, here's a three quarters of a million dollars and you guys just go do whatever you want. No. You guys are inviting more regulation. You're inviting more oversight. You're inviting them to uh, stick their nose into your business and into the education of your children. And the fact that we're doing it for money indicates to me that we haven't learned anything from the past three years as the government intrusion into private matters such as our healthcare and whether or not we wanna get stuck with an experimental jab is appropriate, is an appropriate use of government money. Government money comes with strings attached. They don't just give you money. This doesn't work for homeschoolers. And they're finding this out in Alberta the hard way. Listen to this. Years ago, the Alberta government proposed to homeschoolers that they would give government funding to individual homeschool families if those families accepted certain restrictions. The provincial homeschool organization agreed and the law went into effect. The next legislative session, the government turned around and imposed the restrictions on all homeschooling families whether they wanted the funding or not. And for many years, the Alberta government declined to give homeschoolers the option to live without restrictions by refusing government funding. And so here's the thing. I have friends on both sides of this aisle, wonderful people who I believe, believe, who I believe have, or they think they have, the best interest of homeschooling at heart. And so when they head to the legislature, they say, hey, we're gonna divert some of this money from the government and from our public school system, which we can all agree is being wasted and squandered, but they want to divert that money to the homeschool community. And these legislators who like homeschooling are like, hey, we're going to give you some money. This will be so great. And they often, legislators will lump everybody you know, who's homeschooling sort of together in their own minds. And differences which are obvious to people like me escape these big picture thinking legislators who are not thinking about what might happen if the government decided to call the note. So here's an example of how such a misperception works against us from an email that was sent by former State Representative Cheryl Walker to the 2003 Oregon House of Representatives in opposition to the Oregon Home Education Freedom Bill, which by the way, did not pass. This is what she said. I suggest that if they, homeschoolers, really want freedom from state control, they stop accepting State Department of Education money. Currently, many of the homeschooling, quote, institutes, uh, for example, the Reed Institute of White City, receive approximately 4,000 per homeschooled student that they have enrolled. Taxpayers who are paying for homeschooling should have accountability from the students. Homeschoolers have the benefits of public educated students, for example, laboratories, athletics, arts, et cetera. If they have the benefits, why should they be exempt from accountability? This is what is going to happen. So all of you guys that are telling me that you think it's a great idea that we're gonna get the money and we're gonna use the money and it's gonna be great. And if they give me the money, I'm gonna use it. You don't understand what you are playing with. You are literally playing with fire. You are literally playing with your grandkids' ability to be able to be homeschooled without the oversight and egregious nature of the public school system are you paying attention to what's happening in our public schools? That's really the important question here because uh, this is a very expensive proposition for the freedom of independent homeschooling. I read an article and I'm gonna uh, read it just a little bit to you from HSLDA.org. In the interest of full disclosure, many of you know that I sit on the board of HSLDA. This is an organization that I have worked with and long admired and listen to what they said. This is a quote, I'm gonna start out this article. If we start giving homeschoolers state money, then there's got to be state accountability. This is a quote from Eric Mackey, Alabama State Superintendent of Education. He made this observation recently while sharing his concerns about a newly proposed Parents' Choice program that would funnel state education dollars from public schools to the private sector, including homeschoolers. In his testimony for the Senate Education Policy Committee, Mackey argued that government funding requires government monitoring. I'm going to say that again. Government funding will bring with it government monitoring. Please, you guys, share this podcast with your friends who think that it's a great idea to take government money and inject it into their homeschool. It is not a great idea. It is a terrible idea. And I will stand against it as long as I have breath. And when he says accountability, we don't have to guess what he thinks is reasonable. Listen to what he said. I'm not calling for the accountability of homeschool, he said, but most states require homeschoolers to register with the states and they do home visits. That's the minimum that most states require. Well, he got one out of two points partially correct. It's true that a majority of states require homeschoolers to file some sort of notification with either their State Department of Education or a local school district, but home visits, no state in America requires a home visit to homeschool. But the minute we start taking government money, I'm telling you what, you guys, all bets are off. In fact, exactly every state that has previously attempted to enforce some kind of home visit requirement as a precondition for homeschooling has seen the requirement struck down by the courts or abolished by lawmakers amid constitutional concerns. Still, Mackey's intent was clear. He supports ramping up government regulations on homeschooling families if the government starts funding homeschool programs. This position is not entirely unreasonable. We expect government to ensure some level of accountability for programs that are funded by taxpayers, which is precisely why we do not advocate for government funding for homeschooling. At HSLDA, we advocate for homeschool policy that preserves liberty because freedom and flexibility are essential to the continued success of homeschooling. Government money, however, is not. And in fact, it is the failure of the government-funded school system that has contributed to an increasing number of parents looking for alternative education programs outside of the government funded system. So here's the bottom line, you guys freedom is still the best option. And with shekels come shackles. Are you ready to experience the best sleep of your life? Listen, guys, I love, love, love the My Pillow mattress. My husband and I have been enjoying it for over a year. It's a two-sided, encased, coil, quilted mattress, and you can get it delivered by UPS right to your door. It's easy to set up. Just unroll it and watch it come to life. The MyPillow mattress has a 10-year warranty, a six-month money-back guarantee, and free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the promo code HEIDI, and receive up to 60% off your orders, again, by using the promo code HEIDI. Or call one 800 447 541 And again, use the promo code Heidi. All right. Last question I'm going to address today is the tried and true question of whether or not Christians should participate in the practice of yoga. I have talked about this for years at the show. Many of you know that I used to be an avid uh, practitioner of yoga. I didn't, uh, I never gone to an actual yoga class, but I lodged yoga videos. And uh, as somebody who has fractures in my lower back, I'm always looking for um, strengthening exercises that will help me stand upright and continue to do what I love to do. So I found yoga probably 15 years ago. Someone introduced it to me as a way to strengthen my core. Many of you know I've had seven children. Uh, That's not very friendly for one's core. And so I started looking for exercises that would help me get my life back and get my body back and uh, and start to feel good again. So they introduced me to yoga. I liked it. I I worked uh, for quite a while at um, strengthening my core and working at yoga until I met a girl named Jennifer Smith. I met her when I was speaking at a women's conference that I hosted in Southern Oregon, and she challenged me after that event and she said hey could i talk to you for just a minute i want to challenge your uh your ideas about yoga well i got to tell you guys i wasn't interested really in talking to her because i'm thinking to myself listen i i understand that there's just one god i'm not worshiping anybody when i'm doing down dog and all those poses uh that you know um i'm not uh participating in worship of another god i don't uh, believe in Hinduism, and she said, you don't need to believe in another God to be engaging in idol worship when you do yoga. And I was sort of intrigued by what she said and challenged by it. And so I said, go ahead, um, change my mind. And guys, I have been, I was to that point, a fairly outspoken proponent of yoga as a Christian woman. And I'm telling you what what Jennifer told me in the hour and a half conversation that followed. So long after, you know, we've shut down the conference and most of the women have gone home and my staff is, they're cleaning up and we're turning the lights out and packing up the books and all the things, I'm still sitting in the entryway to this building and I'm, and I'm just mesmerized by what I'm hearing. And I get a lot of pushback from people who, especially Christians who are offended that say, you know, Heidi, you're, you're totally overthinking this. And in fact, I'm gonna read to you some of the comments that came into me just a couple of days ago. So I posted about it again because I shared a post from a woman whose Facebook page is called OK Be Healthy about why she no longer practices yoga. And I introduced the post by saying that several years ago I had had the same revelation with the practice of yoga. And I was asking people, hey, uh, just open up your heart, your um your discernment just ask the lord to enlighten you and boy you guys people are so this is a this is a really big um it's an idol i think for a lot of people and so there was a woman who was on my show and in fact there's a lot of them people tell me that they bought beginners uh yoga classes and they take it this person said hey heidi just do the exercises and don't name the poses or maybe rename them. I like yoga. It's amazing for lower back. I totally agree with you, Sarah. That's why I used to do it. She said, I don't do the meditation. I do the stretches and it really helps. That was my that was my opinion also. Uh, the next person saying, um, uh, I don't ever do yoga for the purpose of worship. What's wrong with you? You're, you know, anyway, a lot of mean people. I'm trying to get to some people that are at least, um, not being brats. I can't find anybody. So I want to read to you a little bit of this woman's post because I thought it was so well done. And it, this answers a question from Jennifer in Virginia. So Jennifer wrote in and she said, Heidi, I agree that yoga is wrong for Christians, but what about Pilates? Is that a good alternative? What about other good alternatives for Christians? I really need some exercises to help with core building and flexibility as I get older. And so Jennifer in Virginia, uh I'm going to answer this question for you and also I just want to encourage you. I really appreciate the fact that you want to feel better. I mean, I'm a, a woman now in my early 50s and I can tell you, I I can feel it. When I don't exercise, I definitely feel it. Uh it's it's uh it's a big deal because you can, you know, you you use it or you lose it and that's absolutely the case. The question is, can we find exercises that are honoring to the Lord? So I want to read this post to you because I think You guys are going to really appreciate This is another woman who, like me, used to participate in yoga and realized that she could not do it and still be a follower, uh, a disciple of Jesus, rather. She said, this is why I no longer practice yoga. Warning, if you read this, you will no longer be ignorant to the evil attached to yoga. An individual's brightness can only be achieved in complete letting go of the darkness to which they are bound. First, let me say I have many good-hearted Christians who teach and do yoga. I have never judged them, belittled them, degraded them, mocked them, laughed at them, made fun of them, spoke negative against them, or criticized them for their personal beliefs and practices. I love them very much. Please apply the same respect for my testimony and what the Lord has shown me in my personal walk with him. So here she goes. This is her testimony. Good morning, class. Let us start in goddess pose. This was the very last pose in yoga that I ever did. As I held this pose, I couldn't help but think, what does God think of me holding a goddess pose? What would Christ think? All of a sudden, it's like I was actually conscious of my actions and behavior. It's not just stretching like I justified in my mind. After class, I walked out of the room never to return to yoga again. When I returned home, I decided to research what the goddess pose stood for, and the results disgusted me. The goddess pose is a worshipful offering to the fierce, dark, intimidating goddess named Kali. Kali's appearance could be described as terrifying. I hit my knees in tears. Lord, forgive me. Thank you, Father, for your mercies, your grace, and your forgiveness. Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for winking at my ignorance. I will be ignorant in this matter no longer. A few hours later, a strong Christian woman sent me a message saying, I think yoga isn't a practice that Christians should be partaking in. Chills ran up my arm. God has established it. And that was all the confirmation that I needed. So what is yoga? Yoga is a spiritual practice where you are yoking yourself to a Hindu God. And the vast majority of yoga poses are there to help you worship false gods, to pose as false gods and to be like false gods so that you can be unified with these false gods. Guys, we are sons and daughters of the most high God. And we are not to worship the sun in sun pose or stand like a goddess or become one with the universe or act and resemble animals. This sounds pagan, doesn't it? Psalm 148, verse three, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you stars of light. Psalm 19, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Matthew four, verses eight to 10. Remember, this is when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, so you've got, uh, you've got Jesus now having a conversation with Satan in the wilderness. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Exodus 20, verses three to five, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. There are many ways, you guys, to stay fit. Simply stretch if you need to stretch, but we should never degrade ourselves so low as to the worshiping of false gods or to be like God's. We should have great respect and reverence for our temples. The Bible says that we are, as men and women of Christ, living temples of the living God. And the question is, should our temple bow down to evil? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be you therefore imitators of God as dear children. We should strive to be like God. We should be an example of Christ, and we should worship only God. In 1 John chapter two, verse six, it says, "He that says he abideth in Him, ought himself also to walk even as He walked." So I'm going to link back to this post. It was from uh, a Facebook influencer. Her name is Jacqueline, and again, her page is called "Okay, Be Healthy." A lot of what I just said came from her post. It's similar to what I wrote for you guys and talked about about seven or eight years ago when I first started uh, explaining to you why I no longer practice yoga. And you guys can write into me and you can tell me that I'm wrong, but I know in my heart I'm right about this and I think scripture backs it up. All right, you guys, that is all that we have time for today. And in fact, I'm fairly certain that I'm over time. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast, for sharing this podcast with your friends and for sending me questions. I want to hear from you and you can reach out to me directly at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. We would love it if you guys would participate with us Here at Firmly Planted Family as we are looking to expand this ministry. We now have over 2,000 students at the Homeschool Resource Center. And you can support us financially as we consider how God would help us plant homeschool resource centers just like this one in towns and cities all across the United States and around the world. And you can support the work we're doing by giving to the nonprofit organization, Firmly Planted Family. You can write into us, 11100 Northeast 34th Circle, Vancouver, Washington 98682. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day, and I hope this is impactful to you. And if you've got questions about it, uh, you can write into me. But better yet, take it to the Lord in prayer and read your Bible. The Lord wants to speak directly to you. Have a great day, everybody. And I will see you back here again tomorrow at the intersection of faith and